this morning. So good to be with you today. I want to welcome you back to week four of a series that we've been calling It's Time, talking all about how God has plans for you, purposes for you. Maybe there's some things on your heart that you know that God wants you to do, some things that maybe you've even prepared for, and you're wondering, is it time to do it? I I just feel like God is saying, now is the time for you to walk in to the destiny, the purpose, the plan that he has for your life. But we've been talking in this series that before you can do that, there's some things sometimes that can get in the way, that you have to walk around, some things you need to put down. We've talked about how stress and and all the effects that, that that can have on your life, changing your mind and a certain way of thinking, that's important. We've talked about unforgiveness. Today I want to talk about one of the things that can get in our way so often from realizing all the plans that God has for us. But before we get into that, I want to look right in the camera and welcome all of you joining us on the other sides of computer screens and tablets and phones all over the place. We recognize this week is fall break. It is fall, y'all. And, uh, and we're excited that you don't ever have to miss not one Sunday. You can always join us online. We're grateful for that. And so Five Stones, will you put your hands together and welcome your church family this morning? So glad that you're here. Several years ago when my kids were little, um, there was this little period of time, little season, there was a really, really busy season of ministry for us, and um, we were pastoring in a church in Alabama, and, um, and right in this season, man, it was just day after day of just really, really busy, busy time, and so we had the kids, and um, some of you guys don't know this, if you're a ministry family, like, they're, they're serving right there with you. If we're late up at the church, then they're late up at the church with us, and so it was one of those seasons, and, I, and we had finished up at the church, it was really late, I probably should have just taken my family, drove them right back home, um, but I thought, you know, I'm I'm going to be a good dad. We're going to stop, get some ice cream. So we pulled off the little ice cream place, and, and right as we pulled off, I was like instantly, dad's a hero. Hooray, dad. I'm like, yeah. And so I thought we'd moved through the line pretty quickly because there was only just a couple of vehicles right in front of us, um, but it took approximately three years to get to the box. You know what I'm talking about? Like it, like it took forever, and I'm like, what is taking so long? And when we finally got to the, the area where we could order, I put in our order, and when they repeated it back to me, it was wrong. And so I said, no, no, that, that, that's not what I ordered. I ordered this, and I, I repeated it, and it was silence, radio silence. And I thought, okay. So I said, well, I'll just pull forward then. Nothing. So we went ahead and pulled around to the front, and I thought, okay, um, they'll, they'll pop out any minute now. Now, those of you that are parents, you know that your, your kids have like a window. You know, like there's like a, a limited window of time before they start melting down. It was already past bedtime, and I, here I am bringing them to get them sugared up. And I thought, okay, well, they, they need to get this show on the road because we, we really need to get this done and get the, the teeth brushed and back to bed. And so we're sitting there waiting, and like nobody like, I could see the little attendant, you know, come by the window and then disappear, but he didn't even open the window. And I'm starting to think, man, this is getting kind of late. What's going on here? I was about to pull off when he did open up the window and he handed me one ice cream. And so I got the ice cream, handed it to one of the kids in the back and turned back, and that was it. 
And I thought, okay, um, that made it worse because I got two other kids in the back, right? And now the other two are like, where's my dad? And I'm like, well, just hold on, you know? And, and so they're starting to melt down and they're starting to get to this place. And I'm like, come on, let's hurry this up. And, and if last week we talked about stress, I could have used that message because it, it was starting to mount up because now the kids are starting to get acting up in the back and we're starting to wonder, like, what is this? Finally, they open up the window and they start handing me the ice creams. And I start taking them and, and divvying them out, realizing that they look like they had been sitting out on the counter for like five minutes, you know, like they're, they're melted. And so I just got them, paid for it, got the ice cream. I said, man, forget it. Let's just go. Got on the road, handed my wife Deborah hers. And when she got it, um, she, she said, oh, look, they got the wrong kind. I said, are you serious? They got the wrong flavor? She said, yeah, it's the wrong one. I said, well, here, just take mine. We both like this flavor. Just, just take this one. And she said, I don't want to take yours. I said, please just take it. And then I looked at this half melted ice cream and that's when I noticed the hair. And it's exactly the kind of hair that you don't want in your ice cream, you know, like, or anywhere for that matter. And I was, that was it. That was it for me. Like, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, I just whipped the car around. I drove right back to the ice cream place. I went into the, the parking lot, and I just cranked that sucker into park. And I was about to get out there, and I was going to give them a piece of my mind. And I started to walk out, and that's when Deborah chirped, remember, you're a pastor. And, the Bible has a word for the word wife. It's actually Ezra. It means rescuer. I thank God for her sometimes because that's exactly what she does. She'll, she'll rescue you. And I, I, I was now armed with her warning and I, I, that centered me again. And I said, okay, she's right. There's some people in there that likely need to know that, that, that I, I represent Jesus. And so I went into the counter and I stood at the counter and nobody even acknowledged I was alive. I mean, they just walked past me. And so, like, this thing started boiling inside of me. And I thought, somebody at least acknowledge my presence. And so, finally, after a couple of minutes, a, a sleepy teenager kind of just walked up. He didn't even say anything. He just kind of stared at me. And all I could muster, that after all of that that was building up inside of me, is I just looked at him and I said, Hairs! And then, then I may or may not have slammed the ice cream on the counter. And it may have not gone everywhere. It may have. If there's, if there's ever been a moment in your life where you go, man, you know, when I walked out of that, I thought, well, I probably could have handled that a little differently, you know. I probably could have handled that better. If there's, there's, there's been a moment in your life where, where you felt that way, you felt like, you know, I, I probably didn't do that right. I wish I could have a do-over in life. So many times that, that's the case. And I, I look at other people and I talk to people, and one of the things that I found so many times is that maybe the, there's been moments in your life where you've said or done something. And really, truthfully, I felt like there were so many other things I could have done and could have said. It wasn't that bad, right? I could have been worse. But there's, there's moments where you know you should have handled something one way and and you handle it another way. And, and what happens is so many times it can be a challenge, especially when walking into the purposes and the plans that God has for your life, to, to get past your own past. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, getting past your past. We may know that God has forgiven us, the people maybe that you've wronged has for, have forgiven you, but, but so many times the person that's the hardest to forgive is yourself. And I think a lot of times... Um, I don't know where you are with that, but I can promise you there, there are some people here today that if you were honest, and that's what we want you to do is be honest with yourself, that you would say that there's some stuff in my past that may be holding me back. That before I can walk into the purposes and the plans that God has for my life, I've got to put some of those things down. And, and for me, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe there's something in your past. Maybe it was a sexual sin. You did something that, that felt like it was right, seemed like it was right at the time, but now years have passed and there's the baggage that comes with that. And maybe it, it could be affecting your marriage or your relationships or your present state of mind now. And you're thinking, I wish that I had never done that thing. Or maybe, maybe it's a recurring sin, something that... You, that 
you, you try not to do, and maybe you, you found yourself doing, and you say, God, I'm sorry, I, I repent of that thing. I'm never going to do that thing again. Please help me never to do that again. And maybe a week goes by, or two weeks go by, or three weeks, and then you find yourself right there back again, falling into it again. And, and it can feel like you're carrying this big weight, that this weight of your past tries to come into your future. Maybe, maybe it was something that that you did to someone or you said to someone else and, and you wish you could take it back. At the time, it felt really, really good to say, but now you can't unsay it, and so maybe it's hurting an intimacy or a relationship inside of your past. I don't know what it is for you, some, some bad decision that maybe you've made or, 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 or that it's catching up with you, like your past can feel that way, like it's, it's catching up to you and you hope and you're afraid that it might come out because you regret it and you hate it and you, you don't know what to do. I, I know a lot of people, unfortunately, that have felt this way, people who have felt um, really, really strained because maybe they strayed in their marriage, right? They, they really betrayed their spouse. And, and, and maybe years have gone by and, and your, your spouse has forgiven you, the kids have forgiven you, and yet um, the, the person that left, is left to be forgiven is yourself, like, you can't quite get over it. I know there's, there's people, I've talked to many people that are, are divorced today, and there's a sense of guilt. It's almost like, well, if I could have just handled it differently, if I had done some things differently, maybe I wouldn't have found myself in this situation. Or, or, or maybe it's even with parenting. Like, if I, you look back and you think, man, if, there was, if I had just handled it a little bit differently, if I parented a little bit differently, then maybe I wouldn't be where I am. But the, the truth is, it's that past that is really holding you, keeping you hostage from walking into the place that God has for you. Sometimes that past can feel like a heavy, heavy burden around your neck. In fact, it can feel a little bit like David felt in Psalm 38, 4 when he said this. He said, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. That's, that's how it can feel sometimes. Sometimes you've done something in your past. David had a colossal failure in his past, and he had this feeling like, like it's a, a, a guilt is too heavy to bear. So many times that, that can happen. I, I talked to a woman once, and she wanted desperately to join the dream team, talking about next steps. She had gone through next steps. She had walked through that process, and she found out there was a team that she wanted to be a part of. She wanted to get on board with it, but the problem was she had done something 20 years ago, and she couldn't get past it. She said, I can't see myself serving because of this event that had happened 20 years ago. I talked to another guy. He had gone through uh, addiction. And even though he had about a year of recovery under his belt, and he wanted to help mentor students, he wanted to help them to prevent them from doing some of the stuff that he had done before, he said, I just can't see myself going there because of this, this issue in my past. And I, I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to understand this today. If you get nothing else of anything today, you should understand God's permanent opinion of you is ready, set, go. That's what God's opinion of you. I, he doesn't, he's not really caring about what happened in the past. It's not that he doesn't care about what, what you are, are concerned with, but he's saying that happened in the past. I've got an, a, an opinion about your future, and I want to utilize those things of the past to, to help you find the future that, that you need to be walking into. And you should understand this, that, that every single saint was once a sinner, right? Every single saint, which includes us, right, has a past. Every single one of us has a moment where, where you probably didn't handle things the way you should have handled, and you might have dropped the ball, and you might have messed up. And don't, here's the key, you don't want that to stick around with you forever. Don't allow that to chain you 
to the past. Years ago, Deborah and I lived at the end of a dead-end road. And if uh, you were out in the country, you know, like if you were coming out there to see, if you were there, you were either to see us or you were lost. Like that was the only reason. Because it was just me and like three other neighbors, that was it. There's just a few people that lived on that road. And uh, I'll never forget, I was I was driving home one day, and it's just this one road that leads out of our house. And, and, uh, and at some point, somebody had nailed an armadillo. Which, coincidentally, have you ever noticed, like, armadillos only end their life, like, one in two ways? It's either, like, that bloated thing on the side of the road, you know, or it's like an explosion grossness everywhere. Have you ever noticed that? No? It's just me. Just, you're just not as observant as me. That's okay. Um, so, so it was the latter of those two. When somebody hit this armadillo, it, like, exploded. It was, like, just terrible. And it was a hot summer day, and, and, and I guess because my neighbors, because it's just like a simple little country road, no one was coming out there. They probably all kind of thought like me, well, like, somebody ought to pick that up. Somebody ought to clean that, but it's not going to be this guy, right? So you know what we all did? We just all just kind of swerved around it, and it started to stink. I mean, it was, it was gross. I don't know if you've ever smelled dead armadillo, but, but it, it was pretty nasty, like, and it was, it was gross. It was just getting worse by the day, and, and then to make matters worse, as if that wasn't bad enough, at some point the next week, another armadillo, I'm not making this up. A second armadillo came up, and, and, and I don't know if it was like inspecting the first one. I can only, it's only conjecture as to why. Like, maybe it was just like visiting a, a, a its poor relative, or, or maybe it was just curious, but it was just out there, and I guess while it was doing its thing out there, an, an, another person hit it, like nailed the second armadillo. And I couldn't help but to think, maybe it was the same guy. There's only so many of us that lived on the road. Does that guy need, like, therapy now? Like, uh, I just keep hitting armadillos. You know, he's, like, scarred for life. But whatever it was, whatever reason that he hit this armadillo, now there are two dead, stinking armadillos on my road. And, like, it was just getting, if you thought the one was bad, the second was starting to smell to high heaven. I mean, it was, it was just a, I don't know if you've ever smelled double dead armadillo death, but it is, like, exactly what you think it would. I mean, it was really, really bad. It was gross. And so um, just a week or so went by, and everybody would do this thing where they'd swerve kind of around it, and they'd all go, oh, God, that's gross, and you just move on past. Until one night, I was driving home, and it was late at night, and, uh, and somebody was coming in the other lane. And so I don't know if it was the same armadillo murderer or not, but he was, he was coming this way, and I was coming this way, and so I couldn't swerve. And so when he, we passed each other, rather than stopping, I just smushed it. I mean, like, I just, it was, yes, it was just all over it. And so I drove the rest of my way to my house, and I, I pulled in my driveway. When I got out, I couldn't smell anything. It was on the driver's side. Apparently, I'd, I'd run over it on the passenger side, smushed this thing on the side. And so I just went on in my way and, and went into the house and, and until the next morning when it was time to take the kids to school. And I came out, and I got in the driver's side. The kids came up to the passenger side, and they went bananas. They were like, oh, gosh, Dad, I can't. You know, it was like, I mean, it, was, it was like gross. I said, oh, get in. It's not that bad. Just get in, because I couldn't really smell it. And they're like, no, Dad, it's gross. I said, if your kids have ever begged you because they're too cool to, like, please stop before you get to the front of the school, my kids were, like, begging me, like, please, Dad, don't, don't do it, don't do it. And I did, and just because I'm that kind of dad, like, I pulled up right up to the school, you know what I'm talking about? And, and like, even the nice little friendly teachers that help your kids out, they were like, oh, <laughs> because it stunk that bad. It was that awful. And it's when I saw their, their expressions, I thought, okay, I probably should do something about this. And so I drove immediately to the car wash. But the joke was on me because after one car wash, I got out at work, and when I came out, I, you could still smell it, and it was terrible. And so I thought, man, i got to go back. So I went to a second car wash. I went to three or four car washes, and, and you couldn't even see anything anymore. I went spraying underneath uh, everything you could do, and it was gone, but it was still lingering there. See, the problem is a lot of times that's exactly what, uh, what 
our, our past can be like. See, the event of that past followed me. The smell of it followed me around for weeks, even though I, I couldn't even see it anymore. Sometimes you can't visibly see the things that, you've, that have happened to you or the things that other people have done to you anymore, and yet the effects of, you, of that moment can follow you forever like double armadillo death. Right? It, just, it just creeps around and follows you forever. I can't see it, but it's still following us. Sometimes the moments of failure that we have in our life can feel um, terrible, and they can follow us forever. And here's the thing. This is the reason why I'd say this, because everybody in this room at some point in your life has dropped the ball. At some point in, in your life, you behaved a certain way, you said something, you did something, you, you responded in such a way that you wish you could go back and undo. Here's how I know that. Romans 3.23 says this, for everyone has sinned. Everyone sinned. We all fall short of, the, of God's glorious standard. There's so many of us that we've, we've failed, and at some point in our life, we decided what, what we really want to do is move past it, but it's like we packed our bags, and we're still chained to this event. We can't go because of the burden of this past, and that's why I, I want you to write this down. If you have notes, go ahead and pull this out, because when dealing with this, this is going to be real pivotal to this. Number one in your notes, God's grace is greater than your bigger, biggest sin. You should know that. That it doesn't matter what you've done, God's grace is greater than your biggest sin. On your worst day of your worst moment, your sin is not stronger, it's not bigger, it's not more powerful than the grace of God. God's grace is bigger than that. And the, the thing that I've noticed, it's an interesting thing over all the years of, of following Jesus and being a, a pastor, and, and all of these years I've watched one pivotal thing that I think I keep seeing over and over again that shocks me. It's how many people are consumed with guilt. Like at the end of the day, they, they might cover it up pretty good, but the guilt is holding on to them, and it's holding them back from so many things. And, and you should hear this. Guilt, you should know this. Guilt is not from God. God did not give you guilt. This feeling that you have of guilt, that did not come from the Lord. Now, I believe that we have a real spiritual enemy, and that devil, this, 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 the enemy of your soul, would like nothing more than for you to drown in an ocean of guilt. But God didn't give it to you. Because the, the devil knows that if he can't keep salvation from you, and he can't, there's nothing he can do to prevent you from receiving salvation. God gives it as a free gift. All you have to do is come clean before him. If you receive that, it's free. There's nothing the devil can do. He'll try to get in your way. But if he can't stop you from that, then the next best thing that he can do in your life is to make you inert, frozen, and paralyzed in guilt and fear. And that's exactly what guilt does. Guilt has this incredible ability to paralyze us and prevent us from moving forward. We start to think, well, uh, I, I, I can't do anything, right? I keep coming back to this thing. And not only does, does it paralyze us, but it also causes us to hate ourselves. Self-loathing comes from this feeling of guilt. This is why it's not from God. Because the longer we inspect our sin, the less we like ourselves, right? Like, why, why would I like anybody that, that has done those things, why, why would I like myself if I am nothing but that sin? See, there's this huge difference between two words that are very similar. They come from a similar place, but they're entirely different, right? One is conviction and one is condemnation. Condemnation comes from the devil. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And they're two entirely different things. Condemnation says you messed up and you are a mess up. You always mess up. You keep messing up. No wonder you mess up because you're going to mess up in the future because you're a mess up. That, that, that's what condemnation, that comes from the enemy. Conviction is totally different. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will say, you messed up. You sinned. That's true. But you're so much better than that. Let me show you a way out. 
And so the two different things are, have two different kind of bearings on our life. Let me show you what happens. Uh, and this is so good. This is the way con, con, conviction works. Because conviction is a gift from the Holy Spirit. I think it's one of the most beautiful things God has given us. Look at this. In 1 John 1, 9, it says this. If we confess our sins to him, if we confess, in other words, if we come clean, if we just go to God and we say, God, this, this is the reality of This is what I did. You know, I, I, I get honest for a moment, and I come to the Lord, and I confess my sin. Then look what he does. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. In other words, what God does is he wipes away our sins. Anybody old enough to remember the Etch-a-Sketch? Remember the Etch-a-Sketch? They're called iPads in Alabama. Sorry, some of my Alabama friends are here today. Now, now, like an Etch-a-Sketch, if you're real old like me, what they do is you could, like, you could draw on this little, like a silver thing, and you could draw with these little knobs, and, and you could make something. You could never make a circle. Don't even try. Like, but, but you could draw on this thing, and when you were done with the image, if you didn't like it or you were finished with it, you just shook it. Right? You just shake it off, shake it off. And like when you shook it off, it was gone. It would, vis- it would disappear. And, and that's exactly what God does to the sin in our life. He just shakes it off. He shakes it off. And, and if you can, but here's the caveat to the whole thing. You've got to confess it. You've got to come to him. You've got to be, be able to say, God, this is the thing that I'm, I'm dealing with. Like, I don't know what it is for you. For me, it was anger. It was rage. It was bitterness. Right? And every so often, it wants to rear its ugly head and, and come back over the form of a melted ice cream with a hairy melted ice cream. But, but for me, that's what it was. I don't know what it's for you. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's, it, it's a, a, an incredibly envious spirit. Maybe there's something that happened in your past. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe it's an abortion. You, you, you figure out the sin, whatever it is in your life, that, that you keep walking back to and you keep revisiting. But the Bible says that if you would just confess that sin to God, what he wants to do is forgive you of that sin, cleanse you of that, make you new. And, and what's amazing about God is he doesn't just leave it there. He actually goes one step further that I love. Watch this. In Psalm 103, this is what the Bible says that, that our God does when we confess our sin to him. It says, for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. In fact, God's saying, my forgiveness is so big, it's so vast, you'd have an easier time getting to heaven from earth than finding the limit to my forgiveness. He's such a loving God. He's such a forgiving God. Then look what it says he does. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, I don't think the Bible was just being like hyperbolic here. I don't think God was just being flippant with his words. He says, I've just made a decision to take your sins and remove them as far as the east is from the west. Everybody here, anybody here ever visit the easternmost part of the planet? Raise your hand. How about the westernmost part of the planet? You, you stop by the west, the most west place. No, there shouldn't be anybody raising their hand. Why? Because east and west just turn into one another, right? If you go far enough east, it just turns into west. If you turn west, you just keep going west, it'll turn into east. Why? There is no easternmost part. There is no westernmost part. They just kind of turn into themselves. Now, it's interesting because if you were to leave here today, hop in your car, drive to the airport, and get on some planes, you could find the northernmost part of the planet. You could get to the North Pole, ho, ho, ho. And then if you wanted to, you could do the right opposite, right? You could go all the way south. You get to Antarctica and find the southernmost part of the planet where the the sun only rises two times a year. You could find that point. You could say, I'm standing on the South Pole. You'd be a little chilly, but you could do it, right? But here's the thing. You can never find the easternmost part. You'll never find the westernmost part of the planet. Why? Because it just turns into one another. It's as if the almighty, all-present, all-powerful, ever-present God has said, listen, what I take, when I take your sin, when you confess it to me, I will take it and I will limit my memory. God does that. He's he's the only one that's able to do this. He says, I'll limit it forever and ever. What does that tell us? It says that there's nothing that you have ever done in your past that is more powerful than God. 
Because God is all-powerful and he is able to forget. Remember your sins no more. Nothing you have ever done. That's why, number two, you need to write this down in your notes when you're dealing with this. Number two, this is important. Your past does not define you. God does. Your past doesn't have to define you because God does. You should write that down. It doesn't have to define your identity. Some of you have had some painful moments that have happened to you. And just, if I could be honest with you, some of you are holding on to painful memories like my wife holds on to Walmart bags. Let me just be freeing to somebody here today in this house. You don't have to keep all the Walmart bags, okay? 312 is enough of them. Just shove them under the sink and now let them go. Just the rest of them, just throw them away. There's more. Walmart will make more. Don't, don't worry about it. You can go, like if, if you've got enough for all the bathrooms and they've carried out some stuff, you can throw them away. Sorry, this is therapy for me. Now, now the, here's the truth. Sometimes painful, difficult moments happen in your life. The last thing you want to do is hold on to them. And so many of us take these moments in our life and it's difficult and it's painful and we start reliving them and we start hashing them back out to ourselves. And God says, you don't have to be like that. I didn't design you to be like that. You don't have to be uh, identified by your failure, your, your sin, your decision, something they did to you, something that somebody has said to you. None of that has the power to define you unless you let it. See, God gives you that ability. He said, well, if you want to, you can wear that like a bad costume. And, and you can walk around pretending that you are that identity. But when God says it, he says, I, I, I don't see you that way. I, I don't see you that way at all. See, the devil wants to get you to personalize your sin. And, and we do this all the time. We agree right with him, right? None of us would ever go like, well, there is a person who has taken something that doesn't belong to them. That's what that person is. No, we say that's a thief, right? We don't ever say there is a person who has had an act of adultery. No, we say that's a cheater. That's an adulterer. See, we lump these labels on people that God isn't lumping on them because here's the, the truth of the matter, and you need to understand this. Sin is an event, Sin is something that has happened. Yes, it has happened. Yes, it's terrible. Yes, it's not something God designed. Yes, it's not what God has for you. But it's an event. It's not a person. It's never, ever a person. The Bible does not define sin as a person. And we take it on. And my prayer for you today is that through the power of the risen Savior and the Holy Spirit, that you would realize how God sees you. Recognize how God sees you. See, God doesn't see you as an event. God sees you as somebody worthy of his blood. That's, what, that's the way Jesus views you. Let me prove it to you. This is what, what 2 Corinthians says. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone, say anyone. I'll say it like you mean it. Say, if anyone. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. See, he says, if anybody is in Christ, if any one of us are in Christ, what does that mean? We've received the forgiveness of Jesus. We've opened up our heart and allowed him to be Lord of our life. And he says, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, behold, the new is come. And so now i got to be honest with you. If you haven't received the forgiveness of Jesus, if you haven't opened up your heart and allowed him to be Lord of your life, then truthfully, you're actually, you are defined by your sin. Because apart from the cross of Christ, there is no hope. Right? And that, that event that did happen, somebody's got to pay for that. That's, that's, we want God to be just, right? If somebody does something wrong, then somebody needs to pay. The truth is, if you haven't received the forgiveness of Jesus, then yes, you're being defined by your own sin. But I believe you're going to hear from the voice of the Lord today. I believe he's, he's wanting to speak to your spirit. Maybe your heart's starting to beat because you're thinking, yeah, I don't know if I've ever really done that, accepted the forgiveness of Jesus. And I want you to know this. God's calling you back. He's trying to call you back home. He's trying to pull you back into relationship with you. And he wants you to find out this place and become a new person, receive the forgiveness of Jesus, and allow him to remember your sins no more. Some of you guys know my story and others don't, huh? 
There was a time in my life when I was a young man, when I was a teenager, where I just decided there was no God. I had gone through difficulties, challenges, and, and some struggles in life. I'd gone through some pains and some obstacles. And I would never have told you this if you asked me. But the truth of the matter was, in my heart of hearts, I was just angry with God. I thought, you know, if you do exist, I just don't like you. I don't understand why things happen the way that they did. And I just got embittered. Now, here's the problem the more you think about that. The, the more that you think about it, the more you start to internalize it. The more you say that, the more you start to believe it. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The more that you speak it, the more you start start kind of internalizing, and I started to become a miserable, angry, bitter young man. I walked through high school just being sarcastic and a jerk, and I was really good at being sarcastic. I mean, I was fabulous at it, but I was really, in my heart, I was just an angry, upset guy. And what I love about God is he doesn't leave us there. He'll never just leave you on your own. I kept finding myself around other believers. He kept pushing me around people that believed in Jesus. And they, had full, they were full of love and joy and liberty and life. And it was like I was freezing cold outside and they had a fire. And you know, you won't stay long away from that for long. I just kept getting closer and closer to that. Until one day it broke, right? And God was able to get into my heart. And, and, and in that moment, everything started to change to me. And, and let me show you the way this works, because I dropped all that hatred. I dropped all that resentment. I realized that God is good, and things happen to me that God never intended, but because of free will, people will do things, and I have made some dumb choices, and the combination of that have led me to this place. And when I dropped all that, and I welcomed God into my heart, things instantly started to get better for me. But let me explain to you what happens sometimes in this life is eventually I started getting into ministry. I started serving at my church. Serving led to me getting on staff. Eventually, God started to use me to preach. And I rem- I'll never forget this. The day I died, I-, I went out to preach one day. I just preached a couple times, just a couple messages, and I went out, and I was about to preach. And I was standing there getting ready to preach when all of a sudden this thought popped in my head, and the thought sounded a whole lot like me, and it said, um, who are you to talk about Jesus? And I, I, like, I had this moment where it's like somebody pressed play on like a bad videotape of my life. You know, it's like all of the moments in my life where I'd ever messed up and said terrible things and awful things about God, I was replaying those in my head over and over like a, like a bad highlight reel of terrible things. And I'm staying, I'm, literally, I'm about to preach. Like little bumper videos going off, and I'm, a, I'm about to walk out on a platform and preach. And I had this thought, and I, then I said it out loud. I said, you know, who am I to tell anybody about Jesus? At this moment, I thought, like, I'm about to go out on this platform. Who am I to do this? You know what's interesting? The, the Bible says that the devil has a title. And you know what that title is? The accuser. He's the accuser of the brothers and sisters. In fact, it's really interesting. In, in the book of Revelation, this is what it says. It says, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. I don't know if you know this, but devil, the devil, actually, God has given him access. He can come up before him. If you read the book of Job, he stands before him. And, and it's as if the devil stands. He doesn't sleep. It, it, day and night, he goes in front of God, and he says, huh, you say, Bill, that, that's your, that, you mean that's your son? Are you, are you, you mean John? That's your, that's your boy? Like, have you seen what he said? Have you watched what they did? You want to say Jill? Jill is your daughter? Are you, did you see how they responded last week? They're such a sinner. He's accusing us in front of God over and over and over. And then not just to make matters worse, he jumps down here and he does it to you like he was doing to me that day. He jumps right in my ear and he says, are you serious? You, you mean to tell me you're going to preach? You mean you're going to go to church every single Sunday? You mean to tell me like you're going to try and lead a small group? You're going to jump on board and go to the, te- the next steps and, and find out how to jump on the team? Do you remember what you said? Do you remember the lies that you, you told because the truth is we know who we are right 
This is why it's so effective to us, because when the lights are out and the mask is off, you know who you are. You know who the intentions are. You know all the real stuff. You know, so many times we come to church and we tuck our Bible under our shoulders and we say, how are you? Well, I'm blessed and highly favored. How are you? Everything's fantastic, brother. Right? But the truth of the matter is, deep down in your soul, you know who you are. And so when the devil, the accuser, starts doing that to you, and he jumps into your ear and he starts saying, man, who are you to try and pretend you're this big, bad Christian, when in reality you know what you've done? That's exactly what the devil will do. Every night and day, he will, he will torment us in that way. He'll go before the Lord and try and accuse us. And I was standing there. And the truth of the matter is, the things that he was saying were true. I had said those things. I had done those things. I had, I had had those moments. But right there in that moment, I, I, as, as he was reminding me of the truth, it was, it was as if God himself was reminding me of some truth. He said, I, I want to give you a better truth, a greater truth. He, the truth is, I've changed you. I came into your heart, and I forgave you of that sin. You don't have to live by that anymore, because the moment that came in, in the sentencing of my life, I had been convicted of my sin. I had been found guilty of it, and the moment right before the sentencing, Jesus stood up and said, wait, I'll pay his due. I'll pay the penalty. And what I couldn't pay on my own, he took on his body on the cross. He he took on his back with stripes. He took on his head. He took all of that from me. Oh, you ought to give him a better praise than that. That means that I'm not anything the devil tells me. I'm all that he says I am. And he says I'm his. He says I'm adopted. He says that I'm a son. He says that I'm an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. And the same is true for you. You're an overcomer. You don't have to identify yourself by the stuff that you did. You're not who you were. You're not the mistakes that you made. The, the, the truth of the matter is, is nothing that you have done, no sin that you have committed, no wrong that you have wronged is greater than the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood is able to cover it all. Here's the last thing I want you to write down, number three. You can't change your past, but Jesus can change your future. You might not be able to change your past. You might not be able to go back in time. Oh, wouldn't it be great if you could jump in a time-traveling DeLorean like Marley, Marty McFly, you could just jump in there, go 88 miles an hour, and phew, you go back in time, and you could change that. You could stop yourself from doing that thing. You could prevent that thing from happening. Wouldn't it be great if you could just go back? Oh, there's so many mulligans I would take. If you could go back in time and say, wait, 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 don't do that. It's going to hurt longer, more than you thought. It's going to take you to a place you don't want to be. It's going to smell like double armadillo death. Trust me, you don't want this in your life. Don't do it. There's so many times I would go back and I would change something, but the truth of the matter is, I can't. There is no such thing as time travel. You can't go back in time. It's not possible. My daughter Elizabeth was little. She was a little bitty thing. I used to scoop her up and put her on my shoulders so she could see things from my vantage point. And she was just this big, and I'd put her on my shoulders, and now she could see up tall. And she'd say, I could see everything, Daddy. I'm real tall. I'm real big. I'm tall. Yeah. One day she was looking around. She's looking at all the different stuff, and then she looked down. And she looked right at the top of my head, and she said, Daddy, why do you shave your head right here? I said, what, baby? She said, well, why, do you shave, why, why would you shave your head right in the center? I said, that's, that, that, Dad's not doing that on purpose. That's called a bald spot. And, and she said, uh, oh, um, well, you should grow the hair back. That looks terrible. And coincidentally, that was the last time she ever wrote on my shoulders. See, there's, there's some things in this life you wish you could get back. Some things that you wish weren't gone and they wish they were still here, but the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? There are times where God takes something from you and you say, God, why did that happen? And we've got to trust the fact that God is smarter than us. He's bigger than us. Just like his forgiveness is so high, his ways are above our ways, the Bible says. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. I don't understand why it all works out that way, but I choose to trust God. There's some stuff that happened in your life that I wish they had never done to you. And can I just tell you, God, God feels that way too. He's given us this amazing gift on this earth where we have free will, which means people can do amazing things, great things to one another, and they can also do terrible things. I don't know what that was for you. Maybe somebody stole an innocence from you. And if so, I'm sorry. That was was tragic. That was terrible. It's beyond words. I'm sorry that they did that to you. But can I just tell you, you can't change it. Maybe it was, maybe it's a moment where you made a terrible choice and it seemed right at the time and it felt like it would be good, but the reality is it was a moment you shouldn't have done. And I wish you could go back and change that. I really do. But you can't change the past. Maybe it was a, a moment of intimacy and, and, and you probably, you, you know you shouldn't have done it, but you did and you ended up getting pregnant and for some reason you'd made the choice to terminate the child's life. And, and now there's a regret that's in your heart. And I just want to tell you this, that my heart aches with you too, but that baby's in heaven and you can't change that. And I I know that's difficult ground to walk on, but if you ever want to get to the place where God wants you to be, at some point you've got to get real with yourself and say, you know, I can't change that. I can't go back in time. But through the power of the risen Christ Jesus, I can take what the devil meant for evil and I can turn it into good. The, The Lord wants to take your misery and make it your ministry. He wants to take that thing that the devil tried to use to destroy you. He wants to work all of those things out. The good and the bad for your good, for your purpose, the purposes of the kingdom of God, if you'll allow him, if you'll come clean to him, clean hands and a pure heart, if you'll just come before the Lord and say, listen, I I, I know what I've done and I apologize, God, I'm sorry. Would you fix this? Then he's faithful and just to wipe it away. I think so many times that the devil tries to bring those up because he knows how effective it can be. And I just want to, maybe you've heard this before. I've seen it on a, like a bumper sticker, but I think it's true. It says the next time that the devil tries to remind you of your past, you remind him of his future. The next time the devil, the accuser, tries to come to you and say, remember what you did? How are you going to call yourself this or that? Remember that? You just respond, that sounds exactly like somebody who just got defeated by the king of glory would say. You just look at him and say, hey, if you, you think that's bad, God has forgiven me of so much more. His plans for me, his purposes are, for me are amazing. If you, could, if you could see him, if you could get a picture of what God wants to do with your life, you wouldn't even believe it. You'd say, you want to use me for that? God says, yes, I've got all those plans, all those purposes. I can use you for that if you, cho- if you just choose to come to me with, a, with a clean hands and a pure heart. If you'll present that to me, I'll use even the bad things for your good. I love the way Paul says it in Philippians. He says this, I don't mean to say that I've achieved all these things, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. In other words, he says, I, I don't, I'm not claiming to have it all together. I don't have all the things right. I don't always get it right. I might have messed up. I might have dropped the ball. There might have been moments in my life where I messed up. This is a guy that actually oversaw the death of all kinds of Christians. Paul, that guy, he was watching as Christians were getting murdered, and he was holding the guys that were stoning them. He was holding their jackets. And God says, that's exactly the kind of guy I can use for my kingdom. He ends up writing a third of the New Testament. 
Don't tell me you can't be used by God because something on your past. Paul says, listen, I don't have it all together. I, I didn't always make everything right. I know I messed up. I know I made some mistakes. But look what he says. He says, I focus on this one thing. And what I love about Paul is he said, I'm going to focus on one thing. He's going to tell you two. <laughs> this is what he says. The first thing I do is forgetting the past. Everybody say that. Say, forget the past. Oh, no, say it with conviction. Say, forget the past. Just forget the past. That's what Paul says. I forget the past. And here's the second thing he does. I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God has called me through Christ Jesus. He says, listen, guys, we're in a race. I don't know if you know this, but we're running. We're all running towards Jesus. Some of us have gotten off the beaten path. Others have taken a left. Some people are sitting, but we're all moving towards Jesus. We're all running. It's a race. There's a lady in our church. Her, her name is Ceci. She just finished a 200-mile race. And she ran the whole 200 miles. She said, you know what happened at mile 67? She said, I don't know what it was about mile 67, but it had gotten dark. 200 miles, that's incredible. But she said, at mile 67, everything got dark. And my feet were hurting. And I was tired. And I couldn't see the horizon anymore. The, the light had just gotten really, really small. And she said she sat down on the side of the road. And she, was, she said, this is it. It's over. I'm tired. I'm miserable. I'm hungry. I'm sick of running my feet hurt. I, I'm done with this race. And she said it could have ended all right there. I could have ended it. One, one call would have ended it all. But something inside of her welled up. She said, just get up. So she stood up and said, just put one foot in front of the other. And so she did. One in front of the other. One in front of the other in front of the other, in front of the other. And the next thing you know, she was jogging. And the next thing you know, she started running. And the next thing you know, she was running and running and running. And, the, and, and towards the end of the race, she said, had to slow down because she was so excited she was getting there. Here's what I'm telling you. This is what Paul's saying. He's like, look, there's a race that God wants you to run. Don't let the pain of the past, don't let a momentary instant hold you back and chain you to a moment because God's got a, a race for you to run. He's got some place where he wants you to be. He wants you to keep going. He said, forget the past. Stop dwelling on the past. Think of the future. Think of what I got for you. Put one foot in front of the other and just keep believing. Keep trucking. Keep moving because God has got a beautiful future for you. If you would run into it. If you'd run towards it. He said forget the past. I love this because in the Greek I looked it up. It says a few things about forget it. It actually means forgetting means this. It means to treat with thoughtless inattention. To forget means to to willfully neglect, to leave behind intentionally, to banish from one's thoughts. To forget means to disregard on purpose, to cease remembering. See, some of you, the enemy is trying to haunt you with your past, and you need to treat it with thoughtless inattention. Some of you, the enemy keeps trying to pull stuff up. You need to willfully neglect that label that has been holding you hostage. You're not what they said you are. They're not, you're not what they labeled you. I don't care if they called you the angry one, the addicted one, the one that, that messed up. You're the adulterer. I don't care what they've called you. You're not that label. Don't take that because Jesus hasn't labeled you with that. You need to banish from your thoughts the lies of the evil one. You need to disregard on purpose other people's ill opinion of you. Their opinion of you is of no consequence to you. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you this. You need to cease remembering that which you have let go of and Christ has forgiven because I'm telling you right now, God's got a future for you. Oh, God's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. It's going to be incredible. And the, the grace of God is bigger to, to cover no matter what sin has appeared inside of your life because he's got a plan so good for you. But he leaves it up to you. To come to him and say, God, I, I realize this event happened. It was a sin. 
It was not in your will. It is not your desire for my life. And I did it anyway. Or it happened to me. And I've internalized it. And I'm done holding on to it. And I drop it to, to your feet. Will you cleanse me of all unrighteousness? 